Joe Major, welcome back to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. You kindly came on my show, I think, over 18 months ago. We've remained good friends. Our friendship's blossomed since then. And a lot's happened since then, right? So for those that don't already know you, and most people do, just give us an overview of what you actually do. Thank you for having me back. It means a lot. You're welcome. Um, so I, as you know, I set up my business, Diversity in Recruitment, almost two years ago now. Um, a few months before we initially caught up Mm -hmm. and I spend my time training and giving advice to recruitment teams in recruitment businesses but also internal organizations as well and give them the support and the confidence that they need to get to grips with diversity and inclusion Mm. and make their recruitment processes and talent attraction strategies inclusive accessible and equitable and how are you finding that challenge? Because, I mean, it's recruitment is, is, a, is a, let, let's say, an evolving landscape that has mm-hmm. many different characters and personalities. And trying to embed DNI and all the stuff that you do must, be, must have its challenges, right? It does have its challenges, but I spent the majority of my career actually on desk, mm-hmm. either as an independent recruiter or as a billing manager. Yeah. So I understand the recruitment process really, really well. And it's not been decades since I was last on desk, so I understand how the work that I now now do within quality, diversity and inclusion connects into the everyday responsibilities of a recruiter who's filling jobs, supporting clients, giving consultancy. So I see it in a really simplistic way. I don't overcomplicate it. I don't expect recruiters to be EDI experts. I'm mm. no expert. I just mm. know a lot about recruitment and EDI in that space. Yeah. So I try to keep it like super simple for recruiters to just look at what they do on a daily basis and then just try and pivot that and look through a different lens. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with all the kind of pressures and targets mm. in recruitment, um, if I was a consultant, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't think necessarily it would be my first mm-hmm. port of call to make sure the candidates I'm representing, and they know it should be, mm-hmm. are covered with all the stuff that you cover because I've got my manager on my back, I've got targets to hit. So how do you, yeah. how do you kind of... Yeah, it's a really good question and, and, I, and I come up against that challenge a lot. I think it's how you actually perceive EDI as a value add. Yes, for somebody like me, it's my absolute mission to make sure that somebody's identity, background and circumstance isn't a reason they don't get a job. Yeah. But on the flip side, the work that I do has its commercial value. It has benefits. Mm-hmm. It helps recruiters yeah. attract more talent into their candidate How? pools. How does it do that? Well, if you look at the barriers, for example, that, ca- that candidates face mm. and... What are we doing to actually break down those? And it might be simple things like accessibility. It might be Hmm. things like the way that we organize our recruitment schedule and the notice that we give candidates. Hmm. It might be the terminology and the things that we put in our job adverts and how we market our roles that actually create barriers or deselection points Mm, in our recruitment process a lot of the time we believe that we've got access to all the talent on the market but often when you actually break it down and unpick it we're working with a really really small pool of folks that want to hang out with us yeah and not everybody sees the recruitment industry and sees recruitment agencies 
as a collective of people that they want to hang out with and they want to represent them, mm. especially people that are underrepresented. Yeah. And what we're talking about here is not just a, a few small communities. Yeah. If we look at it this purely from a gender perspective, we're talking about half the working population. Mm. Okay, yeah. so it's when you look at the intersectionality of diversity yeah. and people's identity, this is millions and millions mm. of candidates, not just small pe- small groups of communities that we might struggle to find work for. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different categories, isn't there? There's, 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 there's the gender, there's, there's, there's nationality, there's all sorts of stuff, mm-hmm. right? But let's start with the simple or, or the most obvious, easier one in terms of what can men do to play a role in equality, do you think? Wow, that is a massive question. <laughs> Hoping it's not too loaded. What can men do? Okay. So if we look at this from a power perspective... Yes. We look at who who has the power and control and authority in the majority of UK businesses. Mm. Okay. Men hold that responsibility currently if we look at the data. Right. When people come into organizations, if you look at kind of that entry level to mid management, we usually see a 50-50% split. Okay. Right. Okay. When it comes to women and men, representation from women and men. Mm. This starts to then dilute and you look at your kind of mid-management to upper management. Yes. And we see a huge decline in the number of women holding those positions around 30%. And then as soon as we get to C-suite, we're looking at 10%, 8%, 5%. This might be an obvious question. Why? (laughs) Again, that's another massive question. (laughs) I need to get round to finishing the last one. Do both, yeah. So, um, so what I'm saying is, in terms of you, you asked me previously around yeah. the, you know, what 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 can what, men do? Yeah, what can men do? I think first of all, I would say I think we need to look at who's holding the power and the reasons why they're holding the power. Why do so many men occupy positions of authority in organisations, mm. and why are women who are represented equally at entry level and up to mid management level mm. not getting to those upper limits Mm. why do we not see in FTSE 500 500, 350 and 100 businesses an equal representation of men and women I mean you look at FTSE 100 and it's 5% Yes. And that 5%... It's not even oh, close to halfway, yeah. is it? It's, it's just... Yeah. It's nowhere near, yeah. ha- you know, yeah. no, halfway. So what can men do? I think recognise the reasons why mm. and the systemic reasons yeah. why women are not management C-suite running businesses. Yeah. Um, and because they hold those positions of power and authority, ultimately they're the decision makers. They're the only group of people who can change outcomes for women who can actually make decisions when it comes to changing the ethics the culture the behavior the policy the work the the structure of the way that people work in their businesses Mm. the only folks that can make those decisions to change that are your c-suite and this is where it becomes problematic when that's dominated by men Mm. because majority groups enjoy their positions of power chris yeah, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't find uh, an unreluctant... Per- I mean, they, they would be very um, reluctant to withhold that power, wouldn't they, I guess? But they shouldn't be. 
They absolutely shouldn't be. We know that organisations with gender representation perform. Yes, of course. You know, the the data's there. They perform better. Mm. Um, You know, just by having a small percentage of women in your C-suite, you see your profits increase by 35%. Your risk is reduced. Your your innovation Mm. um, rates and levels evolve. Mm. Your retention rates improve. Your EVP gets mm. better. I think I think the broad range of skills improve, and this this isn't mm-hmm. a sweeping statement, but the, the women that I've worked with at a very senior level, they tend to have more of the empathy, the compassion, the the so-called soft skills that I think many male leaders lack, mm. and I think that's 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 an interesting. Um, way of looking at it. But mm. when, when you say when we say what more can men do, is it is it a question of um, ripping up the rule book and kind of like it's, it's got to be a root and branch thing hasn't mm-hmm. it because there's a lot of kind of like virtue signaling going on i think mm-hmm. yeah i do think you're right it's got it's got to be it's got to be that systemic change mm. it's got to be at that you know like you said at the at the roots level yeah you, you know the fancy initiative the ev- ev- initiatives the events the the virtue signaling yeah. that that doesn't change anything not just for women but for anybody who's marginalised or underrepresented mm. it's got to be organisations that are doing getting the education to understand why there are dominant groups yeah. why overrepresentation is an issue yeah. and looking at a whole range of factors that can include anything from hiring policies salary policies benefits yeah. how women are supported once they return to work after having having children mm. looking at discrimination um looking at um bias looking at a whole range of behavioural yeah. issues. Do you, do you think that obviously the fact that women have babies and men don't, that that is quite a big subconscious problem with... 100% Chris. Yeah. The world of work hasn't evolved since the 1950s. Who was hanging out in offices in the 1950s? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I mean, I was looking at some data to plan for a project that I was that I was carrying out. And organisations like the Royal Mail, like the Civil Service, like the BBC, mm. up until the the 70s, once a woman had got married and started to plan a family, yeah. they, were, they, were, they were no longer employed by that organisation. Mm. And this is, this is in my lifetime. This is in yeah. your lifetime. I know we're giving yeah, away yeah. our age here, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you start to kind of like think about the world of work and who, who it was designed for and the fact that we haven't changed or evolved that much apart from obviously mm. the mm. obvious with, with COVID yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how that changed how some businesses operate but we are seeing a, a kind of slip back from that. Mm. Um, you just have to look at some of the data around pregnancy and yeah. maternity discrimination. It's so unfair, isn't it? I yeah. mean, 89, I think it's 89% or around that point of women under the age of 40, by the, sorry, by the time they've got to the age of 40, yeah. will have started a family. Yeah. See, and you look at the dropout rates. Yes. Of how many of those women face discrimination? Yeah. How many of, of those women leave after returning back to work? Yeah. Yeah. After. Because they, they, they feel yeah. they're behind where they should be and they're, they're probably just judged 
and all sorts. There's, there's, there's lots of reasons. I yeah. mean, the, a lack of flexibility. So only 29% of women that return back to work after mm. having children will yeah. go back full time. I mean, being a father myself, I mean, I have to say that being a parent has helped me become a better leader. And mm-hmm. for me, if, 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 if a returning one was coming back, I see that as a massive mm. positive. It's not necessarily the fact that people don't see it as a positive. And mm. I can't speak on behalf of people and leaders because yeah, I don't hang out with them all mm. the time and talk to them about this stuff. Yeah. But it's, it's all well and good being supportive and seeing the value add. Yeah, yeah. But if you're... I've just you know thrown out that stat there. Yeah. You know, in terms of the fact that 29% of women won't come back to work full time and yet the majority of organisations mm. don't offer flexible working, part-time working and job share. Right, right. So we're seeing such high volumes of, yeah. of, of, of talent leave businesses and leave employment and leave the economy because they're mm. just they're not the provisions there. There's not that flexibility. Yeah. And we see a noticeable difference yeah. In organisations that have more gender representation right yeah. through to C-suite. Right. And there is a direct correlation between the way they re-onboard, the right. way their maternity policies, sure. their flexible working, their family building benefits and all that great stuff. Yeah. But not just for women, mm. but also for men. Okay. And I think going back to what you asked earlier, you know, what... What's, what power do men have here or what influence can men have when we start to see both men and women and all parents taking advantage of the equity that organisations provide them with mm. the flexibility when we start to break down some of these stereotypes yeah. when organisations start to offer fully paid maternity regardless of which parent wants to take it yeah we're going to start to see okay. more movement and more change. That's really good. In, in my opinion. I was going to ask the next question, how do you make recruitment more well, accessible to everybody? I think you've, you've answered some of that. But in, in, in a recruitment sense, what, what, what more can the industry do, do you think, in that regard? What more can the industry do? Okay, so I think that first and foremost, it's really important to understand the barriers that, that, candidates, that candidates face. And right. this all comes from education. Yes. So this is understanding, appreciating, accepting and acknowledging that people's identity yeah. is a reason why they cannot either apply for your role, get selected from a CV perspective, yeah. um, be invited to interview attend interview and a whole range of you know basically be part of the process Mm. and to appreciate that just because you have no frame of reference or no lens on this that there are multiple reasons why candidate deselection happens Mm. and I'm sure if we had the data and we don't have the data because the recruitment industry hasn't got the mechanisms to collect it yeah we would see dropout rates and we would be able to apply that i am pretty confident to certain identity markers Mm. because we what we find ourselves is in a position when we don't look at the reasons why candidates deselect themselves the reasons why candidates decide that their our job advert isn't for them yeah because we don't engage and we don't explore those reasons we're not doing anything to rectify that we are accepting that Every, that we have access to everybody, and that's yeah. a fallacy. That because I think I think I think so some some job adverts are written in such a way where I could see why someone would automatically feel deselected. Yeah. 
I mean, I will. I, I go through this on a on a, on a on an ongoing basis where I will look at a job ad and I will, especially from a recruitment perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I will immediately deselect myself from process. Give, because, give us an example. Just, just of that. things yeah. from um, so many job ads that still don't give details when it comes to flexibility and hybrid working. Oh, okay, right, yeah. You know, yeah. so if I don't see it on a job advert clearly detailed with mm. evidence and examples, so flex working is not enough. Yeah. If I don't see evidence, if I don't see a commitment to that put in the ad, I will deselect myself. And so will something like 85% of women if they don't see flexibility on a job advert. Yeah. Things like um, the benefits, you know, trips to, I'm going to particularly focus on the recruitment industry. Sure. So end of quarter meals, trips to Ibiza, you know, (laughs) jollies to Marbella. Yeah. As a 45-year-old woman... Yeah. That is not for me. No. That is not a culture that no. I will thrive in. You're automatically yeah. selecting that group of people, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I don't, you know, sometimes the language that we use, you know, fast-paced, right. um, driven, work hard, play hard, you know, all of the this kind of yeah. language. You know, that, that, that might have been me at, at 23 years old. Yeah. But as somebody with experience and different set of life circumstances... Mm that's not necessarily for me Mm. and I can only talk about this through my lens and what Mm. I would be looking through an employer Mm. if we start to look at different identity markers it gets even more complex and then when you start to layer those different identity markers markers from an intersectionality perspective the deselection points multiply Talking layman's terms, because some of the words you're using, you know, I understand them, but the audience, so deselection markers and identity markers. What, 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 so when I talk off. about identity, sorry, it's yeah. a really good question. Yeah. So when I talk about identity, I try to move, I try to steer away from the generic terms that we become a bit lazy, yeah. a bit lazy on, a bit reliant on. Hmm. So some people talk about it in terms of protected characteristics so those protected characteristics that are protected by the equality act 2010 for me as soon as we start talking about protected character characteristics it becomes almost like a compliance conversation right when we talk about identity i'm talking about everything to do with what makes you you whether that be your sexuality whether okay. it be your class, whether it be your education, whether mm. it be your financial resources, whether it be you, whether or yeah. not you're neurodiverse or neurotypical, right. whether or not you've got a disability, your gender identity, yeah, whether you've got kids, whether right. or not you're a carer, yeah. whether or not you're an introvert, an extrovert. Yeah. And, and it just, you know, if you start to look at identity beyond those protected characteristics, characteristics, yeah. you start to understand that people are like, they've got so many different layers to them. Yeah, I think we are climbing a very, very big icy mountain and it's not going to happen overnight as much as you and I may, may want it to because yeah. there, it's just a lot of this, this belief system is ingrained over centuries of what men should be, what women should be, right? But I, I think there has been quite a lot of progress in the last, say, three, four, five years. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's some organisations doing some really, really great stuff and these tend to be organisations that 
are not out there virtue signaling yes. on, on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. They're just busy behind the scenes just yeah. doing the work. Yeah. And in my role I'm privileged enough to be able to work with these types of organizations and I'm lifting the bonnet and unpicking all their work. Mm. And finding out they're doing some amazing stuff and I'm like, you need to talk about this on social. This is gonna help candidates trust you. This is gonna help with your yeah. talent attraction. This is different. This is going to change the recruitment industry yeah. if you influence influence others. Mm. And yeah, you could say that we have, what did you say, an icy mountain to climb. Mm. But it depends how you look at it. My work is so simple. It's just enabling recruiters to get back to really bloody good recruitment yeah. before we got so busy and so automated and so focused on ourselves. So, so on that point then, so say like, uh, how would how would the dial change then in recruitment, in recruitment sense where a company gets a brief on and they go away and source the candidate? How can they ensure they're capturing everybody, not deselecting any, everybody or, you know, how does it, mm. how can you do that? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think you can never, you know, you yeah. can never get, connect with absolutely everybody but the small changes that you can make right. you know you see the number of generic boring dull adverts yeah. that just don't appeal to anybody regardless yeah. of whether or not you're underrepresented or not hmm. so it's about making sure that we are looking at how do we make our job briefs with our clients more detailed yes how do we ask better client better questions how do we delve more into our clients culture mm. into our clients values how do we understand their employee value proposition yeah how do we start to gather that really really critical information to build out more attractive and more yeah. insightful job adverts mm -hmm. that and that are not just going to disappear in a mass of crap on job boards that are actually going to yeah. stand out yeah. and we the day i mean i don't know how many how many times there needs to be report after report after report about what candidates are looking for mm. until we start to change things so we look at millennials, right? So millennials and Gen Zers. Millennials fill up the majority of mid to upper management roles. Mm. Our Gen Zers are now yeah. looking at second and third jobbers. They look for representation. They look for organisations who have inclusive work policies yeah. and work cultures and working environments. Not necessarily because they're underrepresented, but yeah. because science tells us that these are better organisations to work for. Okay, that makes sense. And I think, Chris, what we do, because the recruitment industry is shockingly underrepresented, we are just churning out processes that work for us. Yeah, right. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And we are basing it on what we want. Mm. We're not stepping outside our own limited frame of reference yeah. and starting to think about what other people want. Mm. We've become so centered on ourselves that we don't just start to think, is there another way? Mm. And I hear this from recruiters all the time, but that wouldn't bother me. Right. But that wouldn't make a difference to me. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, so let's unpick that. Yeah. You're 23 years old. Mm. You're a man. You're mm. straight. Mm. You're cis. You haven't got a disability. Of course those things aren't yeah. going to matter to you. No. 
but let's give it 15 years let's yeah. give it 20 years and let's see if that yeah. frame of reference starts to evolve I think it might well take that long actually to, to, to get and, it, and that's what we've got but I've, I've heard what do you say to the people that say sometimes I feel companies this is not me I've heard people say this where I've seen organisations box, box tick and put a certain type of individual into a role mm -hmm. just to keep that for the optics yeah for the tick's yeah. happy and then but other people are losing out because of it. They're almost like a counterintuitive argument. So it's almost like yeah. criticising d &I. Yeah, again, this is, you know, it's one of those neggy stories that yeah. everybody latches onto. Okay, so in this, in, in the fight for um, the DNI awards and the badges of yeah. honour, yeah. organisations have developed box ticking habits yeah. okay it's called positive discrimination right it's against the law and it's done purely for the optics mm. okay i've spoken with the recruiters who've been financially incentivized to really? go out there wow. and select candidates based on their identity sure okay right? yeah. and this is identity markers that you can visibly see like race ethnicity and gender wow. okay and organizations are not doing the work to recognize mm why those folks are already missing from their organization and the systemic the systemic reasons why yeah. they're not doing any of the deep work needed to provide the equity which provides the inclusion which provides the belonging and ultimately yeah. attracts the diversity sure. they're starting right from they're taking a kind of like um top-down approach and trying to sort out their representation issues mm. by bringing in people who look different yes and their 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 only version of diverse is somebody who looks different right they don't even really understand wow. the fact yeah, that yeah. everybody's diverse and this is this is really damaging so this is creating this this sense of well i am a 54 year old white straight guy what chance have i got now in getting a job mm. because all of a sudden everybody wants women Mm. or everybody wants people of colour everybody wants right. people from the LGBTQ plus community and the media is creating this sense mm, of panic of course, I right. can tell you now white, cis, straight men got more chance than anybody else do not need to worry no. <laughs> no. nobody is coming for your jobs yeah. you will still hold positions of authority and yeah. power for the next 138 years mm. But it's a bit it's rich. This, it's, a bit, it's a bit rich to even think or say that, isn't it? But there we go. It, it's it's fragility. Yeah. It's what about meisms? Yes. And instead of actually thinking about your responsibility for your, the future generations and keeping your business alive, because let's yeah. not forget, yeah. if we don't listen to Gen Zers and if we don't listen to the Alphas, our businesses will not even exist in 30 years time because people will not want to come and work for them. Hmm. This is the big this is one of the biggest challenges facing employers and the recruitment industry hmm. in my opinion. The fact that we are still basing cultures, values, behavior and work structures on baby boomers, yeah, Gen Xs and later on late millennials and we're not actually listening to the data and acting accordingly. Okay, so DNI is diversity and inclusion. Um, some might not know what EDNI is and the difference also between equality and equity. Enlighten us. This is a great question. <laughs> First, when anybody ever asks me this, I always say to them, do not get worried mm. about um, 
about the details so much. It's more about like the act- actions and the and the process right. in which they need to be a- a- approached. Yeah, so sure. don't worry too much about getting your letters mixed up. But it's a really, really good question. So mm. how I tend to describe it is I go on a, a little bit of a visual journey. So it starts with the, the equity piece. So equity mm. is about providing people with the resources, the skills, the working conditions, whatever they need to have to put them at the same level as others. So give us an example where that isn't happening. So if we were to look at, for example, um, we suppose but like flexible working, for example. Mm-hmm. So we know that um, women take um, the lion's share of uncare, unpaid caring work. So right. women will do on average three and a half hours a day of unpaid caring work, which sure. is childcare, yeah. caring for adults. I just expected ha- to almost. Household yeah. duties, stereotypes yeah. and bias, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. The women's role not evolving from the 1950s. Mm. Um, and still be expected to, to do a full-time role. Right. So if you were to think about you know, a in this instance, a woman and a man at the same level as an organisation that doesn't offer any form of flexible working. Mm. A man will do a, an average of one hour. I think it's one hour, twenty three minutes of unpaid caring work. Yeah. A day in comparison yeah. to a woman's three and a half hours. Right. Who has then more flexibility yeah, the man, to actually. take on yeah. the projects at work that demand more time and resources? Yeah. Who has time to invest more in meeting their promotions criteria? Yeah. Who has time to take on additional work? Who has time to attend the after work socials? All those things that traditionally get us in the spaces that we need to be. Mm, okay. Absolutely. So an example of, of, of uh, so I guess what I'm leading to is to just show how actually something as simple as having flexible working. So that's that's more equity than equality, right? Yes, so right. equity is the things that we can do and the things that we need to introduce to level yep. the playing field, to give everybody an equal opportunity to be successful in Regardless their Regardless of gender or whatever. Regardless, yeah. okay? Mm. So it might be the difference between you and I. So, a, for example, um, an application form might be super straightforward for me to complete but for you, because you were neurodivergent, yeah. and maybe you had something, right, like, you I know, see, yeah. something like dyslexia, mm. it could be a deselection point, mm. or it could mean that you fill it in and you really struggle with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't. Yeah. And so you might deselect yourself, or because of your identity, yeah. there might be something that means that it. it you don't get selected in the recruitment process. But it's interesting because, because the, the actual application process has got nothing to do with the actual skills of the job itself. No. But yeah. if you can't fill out the form very well compared to yeah. other people, you're already at a disadvantage. Right? Or it might be, yeah. you know, the typical scenario in the recruitment world, right? Clients sat on the CVs for two weeks, mm. rings you up and goes, can I, sh- can I interview them all tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, which used to happen all the time. It's frustrating. Yeah. Who's going to deselect themselves from process because they haven't got time to either mm. prepare for the interview or to attend the interview 
Yeah. You're more likely to get the people who take responsibility for the uncared pets. So you've got oh. such a difficult job because most hiring managers or recruitment consultants or recruitment managers are like, well, if he can't turn up by 24 hours, he's, he's useless to me. Or she's useless. It's the kind of like, it's just this, there's just lack of permanency. There's all this urgency. All, everything has to be done yeah. today, tomorrow. Everything, or, you yeah. Know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really good point. And, and I, say, I say this all the time. Mm. Um, we always talk about how how speed how how speed yes and a lack of it kills our deals yeah 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 but when we look at it through an inclusion lens yeah speed kills inclusion when when, when you think about it the amount of people that we are missing out on yeah. by by our existing archetype um, archaic processes and thought processes are just ridiculous right it's it's a one size fits all process mm. it was designed back in the fifties yeah. Right? We now we need to understand that actually this equity piece is critical. Mm. We've got to be more flexible in the way that we hire. Yeah. We've got to be more flexible in the way that we offer employment because we're missing out on huge communities. We're missing mm. out on so much talent. Yeah. But going back to your question in terms of you were asking me about what's the difference. Yeah, yeah. So the equity is changing things and the doing stuff. Yes. This provides the equality. Got you. Everybody's on an equal footing. Yeah. Right? Everybody's got access to the same resources and everything that they need. Yeah. Their identity, background, and circumstances isn't hold them, holding them back. Got you. This creates a sense of inclusion. So inclusion is very much a feeling, right? Yes. I can. I'm respected. I'm expected. I can show up as me. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on the job. Focus yeah. on career progressions, focus on my skills and my expertise, not worry about how my background identity and circumstances affecting me, yeah. which takes me away from the, do the day job. Mm. Once you've got that inclusion piece right, people feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. And we all know happen what happens financially to a business when people feel that they belong. Mm. And you've created bottom-up great organizations. And what do we think happens next? Mm. This is where we start to attract Yeah diversity and people that are different because they see all of this stuff in our EVP. They see all of this great stuff yeah. evidence throughout the recruitment process. You're more likely to acquire and to attract yeah. and retain okay. underrepresented talent. So if you take that what's approach. E D and I then is that well, what is that? Some people would say that's equality, diversity, right. inclusion. Okay. I've started to um, talk more about the equity piece because yeah. it's more of the doing. Mm -hmm. But there isn't a right and wrong in how you use the language or the terminology. Mm. It's understanding, I think, how you approach them yeah. and in what, in what direction. I mean, it's fascinating. You're clearly very passionate about, about this, very knowledgeable, and it is close to your heart. So how did you get into this in the first place? Let's talk, I'm going to talk a bit more about you now. Oh gosh, <laughs> the bit I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am really passionate about it, and but I always need to be really transparent that mm. who I am as a human being and the exposure that I've had to the people that have and the people that haven't shaped my who I am as a recruiter yeah and I spent 10 years working in the education space where I worked in the most socially deprived areas of London mm -hmm. in 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 primary schools and right. I spent the other decade of my career recruiting into the non-profit space so I got to work with 
a whole range of different charities, right. from global NGOs to um, small charities that worked on community projects. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had this lens into the real world. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> and so that has, yes, what well, I guess what I'm saying is I've always had this really, really strong social radar from right from the start of my career. I've always seen, you know, the, the massive disparity yeah. between people with resources and money and social status. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And the majority of the rest of the population. However, when it comes to the stuff that I train about now, this inclusive, accessible and equitable, recru- equitable recruitment, hmm. that's only been a recent journey for me, four or five years. Yeah. So full right. transparency, was it at the top of my radar when I was recruiting for 17 years? Absolutely not. Right, right. I use my experience mm. in my storytelling and training. Yeah. So I'm not stood in front of recruiters no. preaching yeah. about things I know nothing about and things I've never done before. Mm. My frame of reference is my mistakes constantly. My storytelling is about the ridiculous things that I've done. Yeah. My storytelling is about the things that I now recommend people avoid. Hmm. If that makes sense. How do you think you've evolved? Because when, when we first met a couple of years ago, may I say, um, I think you've evolved a hell of a lot. I think the confidence that you're showing is is amazing. You've done loads of talks and speeches. What do you think the cat, cat, catalyst for that? I've got a feeling it's things like the LinkedIn community. I think you're good on mm. there. But just talk to us about how you feel you've evolved and why in the last couple mm. of years? No, it's a, it's a, I knew you'd ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a completely different person to the, the woman that was sat in front of you 18 months ago. Mm. I was institutionalized because I'd always worked for somebody. Right. I'd never been given permission to be myself. I'd never been given creative license to do what I wanted to do. I'd always been very mindful of the impact of my thoughts and feelings and stuff on mm. my success and my credentials. And 18 months, nearly two years of being able to call the shots on my own life yeah. has increased my confidence and belief in myself. Mm. Um, and shutting down that kind of like echo chamber of negativity yeah has been instrumental in changing the way that i approach work and how i feel about myself Mm. and you're right the linkedin community i mean who knew (laughs) (laughs) yeah who knew um it's a missing part of everybody's life anybody i know i know it's got its struggles Mm. okay and it can be a toxic place yeah but for every challenge that it presents, it also gives you an abundance of incredible people who are there mm. to support you and wrap their arms around you and give you help whenever you need it. Yeah. And the amazing thing that's happened to me is I've, I don't have to accept my lot anymore. I don't have to accept toxic people. I can choose exactly who I want to have in my mm. life and I do. Mm. And if it's not, if they're not working for me, yeah, then they're parked. Yeah, but I've built my own boardroom. Yes, right. Okay. Built my own boardroom mm. full of people that I've chosen, mm. and 
I'm so grateful to them and I give back to them hopefully as much yeah. as they give back to me hmm. and the dynamics change sometimes they need more from me yeah. sometimes I need more from them so is that relationship with those friends colleagues peers on LinkedIn but also I think the relationship with yourself has improved mm. a lot right yeah my relationship with myself has improved mass yeah massively I have figured out that I've got a lot to bring mm. I've got a lot to add and I think it, it almost goes back to that sense of when you're working with a client when you're a recruiter you know and that sense of yeah. validation that you get when your client gives you great feedback but it's kind of times by a hundred yeah. because you see the transformation in mindset wow yeah so I no longer just like I don't just help people make more money mm. I help people I help transform mindsets and my end user will always be yeah. people who face barriers into work and I think part of the reason why your confidence has grown I think oh, this is the purpose led leadership podcast you know how much I think about purpose mm. I think mm -hmm. what you're doing has a real purpose and I think mm. money isn't necessarily your driver at all necessarily is it mm. is that right money is not my driver I think that can sometimes be to my detriment mm. it's been you know it's resulted in potentially me being taken advantage of sometimes right let's um, talk about that because from my point of view you and the audience will know that you know I was born in a caravan and council flats you know very poor upbringing if you like not compared to other people but compared to some people mm. um, became a multi-millionaire lost it all and then when I lost my my wealth I became very resentful of people who had money mm. and um, it's only now that I've last sort of year or two where I've kind of like got the money vibe back in terms of I have a relationship with money I actually do think it's really important I think you have need to have a relationship with money not abuse it but if you don't have you don't, if you don't want it and and you don't desire it and don't have a need for it then you're not going to get it so i, I think i think mm. it's important but you've mm. got to have the right balance to it so for mm. me personally it's having a relationship with money is really important mm. but for you you're, you're you, i think i think you're kind of in a, a bit of a transition with this aren't yeah. you you've got there <laughs> yeah it's almost like you've addressed your money demons and yeah. you understand yourself really really well i'm not there and i'm not sure i ever will be there and that's for two reasons I grew up with money being a massive issue. In what way, though? Um, one side of my family not having enough. Right. And the other side of my family have an abundance of money. Oh, okay, right. And there being a really fractured relationship, so I'm talking about both sides of the parents, right? Sure, sure. So I saw that, you know, most of the stresses and the strains and the arguments and the negativity were surrounded by money. Mm. And I had a really interesting, back, like, upbringing where... Yeah. Money was always an issue because there was never enough of it. Mm. But on the weekends that I hung out with my dad, <laughs> there was plenty wow. of money around. What a contrast. Um, I also spent a lot of time with my dad whilst he was working. Yeah. And this is only something I've been thinking about and addressing recently. So, you know, my, my, my dad was a successful businessman, but he wasn't a great father. <laughs> We've spoken about this previously. Mm. And he used to, whenever I used to hang out with him, he'd take me to work. So I would be with him, witnessing him, him in, a, in a working environment, right. which is quite unique. We don't often get to see our parents in that way. Yeah. And I saw his position of power and authority. What, what did he do? 
Um, he was actually a hairdresser. Okay. And he, uh, he earned a hairdressing group, a training school. Right. And at the, at the time, one of the most successful okay. um, hairdressing businesses yeah. in, in, in the north. Um, and he was a real entrepreneur. He was always doing, he was all do, always doing all sorts. But so I, I'd seen how his attitude towards money you know, how the lavish lifestyle, the big houses, the cars, mm. the way that money made him behave and treat other people. Really? And it was ugly. Oh, wow. And so, and I think, you know, I've not really done the work to unpick the exact reasons, but this mm. is why I've never equated money to happiness. Okay. And I have never worked in recruitment to be a big earner. I've yeah. always been a... Um, I enjoy nice things, don't get me wrong, mm. but I live, I don't live to excess and I don't link happiness no. with material things. But that's a great example to show people that how we are indoctrinated and um, mm -hmm. influenced by our parents and our surroundings. Uh -huh. Just because that affected him in that way doesn't necessarily mean it would affect you in that way. Yeah, but it's, it's, just, it, it's just not being able to... So I've convinced myself that money will not make me happy okay and also we have to think about the line of work that i'm in of course you know i need to make my services financially accessible because money is yes. majority the main driver to my clients especially right now right and i yeah. feel that if i if if i if i mirror some of the other edni trainers out there yeah it will be the reason why recruitment businesses don't take me on to do the work right and if i'm not taken on to do the work who's doing the work so, you, so you feel you've got your duty of care and your purpose is more important yeah. than your financial yeah. gain. Getting yeah. into recruitment yeah. businesses, yeah. getting under the skin of the recruitment industry yeah. and influencing change mm. is the number one driver. And mm. if I make that expensive, yeah. that is going to be yes. a deselection point for clients. It's interesting though. I think, I think you're right. But also I think that you can go too far with these things and mm -hmm. kind of like under value yourself anyway yeah, and I think I've been guilty of that in the past and I've, I've worked through that I wouldn't say I'm the finished article but it's a fine line right there is a fine line and this is where I'm a bit of a I, I contradict myself here because I, I have I felt that by being financially accessible mm. I've almost been taken advantage of by some people right, okay. so it's almost you know that you give people an inch they'll take a mile yeah is that that's the yeah, saying exactly. isn't it yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know people see you as somebody who's just driven by the purpose so this is a real interesting point because the way you articulated how you built your friends and your peers and you could choose your people and your boundaries mm. you're really strong with it with this you're kind of like yeah but I can't really chart it's an interesting one it's mm. a different different Joe here talking about that. I'm just yeah. that's my observation. Yeah, no, no, no. You're 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 absolutely right, mm. and I do I do kind of I've I've tried. I am working on it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on the value instead of looking at instead of looking at what I'm delivering. I'm looking at what it took to deliver yeah. what I'm delivering. So where sometimes I might find it hard to get my head around charging this amount for half a day, I've got to price up the 25 years yeah, that it took to be in a position to deliver that half in day. In real terms, you're probably worth more, double, triple than, than many out there. But I've always said that the right clients will pay the right money. Mm. And that's it. Yeah, you are right. If they can see a return on investment, okay? Yeah. yeah. And 
I am trying to make sure that whenever I position the work that I do, yeah. there is a clear return on investment because it upskills recruiters to attract more candidates, mm. to make the candidate process more effective, mm. to be able to provide more products and services to clients, yeah. to try and make sure that they can see the work that I do makes them so better recruitment businesses to partner with. Is it because you feel that the recruitment companies might think that they won't go with you because it's too expensive, or do you still, or is it because you fear money and you're afraid of being like your dad? I'm not afraid. Yeah, gosh, we're getting deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid of being like my dad. I'll never be like my dad. Okay. He's a complete yeah. loser. Right. Um, okay. I will. Yeah, I will never. I'll, I'll never. I know myself too well. Um, I need to work on my relationship with money. I probably Mm. need to improve how I price up what I do, Mm. full Mm. transparency, and the value that I put on what I do. But I will always one of one of my values is financial accessibility. I actually say somewhere that I never want. You know, I'm I'm not here. To no. buy a villa in Ibiza. No, no, no. And I didn't want to be one of those businesses that profits off inequality. No. Because there's enough of them out there. Yeah. Every every week there is a new tech product sure, or training sure. package that is targeting the recruitment industry that is shit. Yeah. That is has seen the gap, has seen the pain point. Yeah. And jumped on a bandwagon. And yeah. nothing that they do is centered around no. candidates who face barriers into work. And I will not join that organization. No, no, no. Uh, not, I will not join that movement, yeah, if that ma- makes sense. Makes sense. So um, haven't you partnered with someone else now? In t- oh, in terms of the new business venture? Yeah. Um, I had to process that for a few yeah. seconds. <laughs> yes. I have. I mean, who'd have thought I'd have been sat here talking to you about launching a second business 18 months ago? Well, let's hear about it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so when, um, when I launched Diversity in Recruitment, uh, my mission was to, you know, to target the entire recruitment industry and improve mm-hmm. what we do. The reality of one person doing that is yeah. punchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and it's like anything. When you launch a new business, you you know, test and stretch your services and you see where you add the most value and where you have yeah. the most impact. And actually, the best of my work was, was being done with leadership teams okay. and senior recruitment teams. Yeah. And I needed to address the fact that to change things we really need to work on the grassroots side of things. Yeah. We really need to get recruiters in those formative years of their recruitment career and embed this best practice stuff. So when they become our future leaders, mm. they've been doing this stuff for years, right? Yeah. So we'll always reflect back on that stuff that we were taught in our first 18 months of being in recruitment and those principles stay with us, right? Yeah. I still remember when I worked for Adeco going down to Birmingham and having that training. Yeah. And those principles of course, stayed they're with ingrained me. for life. Ingrained for life. Yeah. So this leads into what you asked me. So mm. I've been thinking about my capacity to do this. Yeah. And it was proving to be incredibly complicated. And I was always anti e learning on demand. 
because I felt again it was a quick route to ticking a box. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think if you don't get in front of any somebody, it's really difficult to make people feel something, which yeah. is an integral part of what I do. Um, but an opportunity presented itself to me in the form of my competition. Right. Um, uh, an incredible trainer called Jenny Child, who we were on a podcast together. And she reached out to me after we hung out. We realized that we were big and scary. Right, we were right. the people that perhaps we thought each other was. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and that we actually had loads of synergy and loads in common. Jenny's background is very much in-house recruitment teams. Mm-hmm. Mine is agency side. We've both got incredibly different, different um, training techniques but we've got exactly the same values and ethics. So, th- so this is something that you wasn't planning at all, kind of no. a bit by chance. So how, It how- was Jenny's, Jenny's, I, I knew that the problem existed for me in yeah, order to scale right. up. Okay. Um, Jenny approached me and said, I, I've got this idea. I yeah. think this grassroots piece is really, really important. Um, I think if we came together and shared our skills, we could create something really cool. Mm. So we've designed an e-learning on-demand wow. five-step training program that has been specifically designed for early careers recruiters. So between naught 18 months to two years okay. in your recruitment career. Right. And it's all about the basics of inclusive, accessible and equitable recruitment mm. through a DNI lens, but also through making recruiters brilliant. So a recruitment company could download that to all their teams. Yes. Right. But the idea is, it won't be it won't be like a tick box piece, Chris. It'll mm. be show us your credentials, show us what you're doing as an organisation yeah. from a leadership perspective, uh, perspective, and also what you what you're doing within that leadership team and senior management piece, and then we'll give you the keys to the training for the rest of your population. Isn't the world crying out for some sort of regulation? You know, you get like investors and people all this stuff. I mean, for me, what would be great is that there's a sort of a certificate or something that sort of represents a level yeah. of commitment that a, a company's yeah. shown. Do you yeah. think we can ever get to that stage? Um, do you know what? There's, there's a few people that are looking at this already. There's yeah. a really great organisation called the Inclusion Crowd. And Ed from the Inclusion Crowd has actually gone down the formal route of getting oh, wow. formal Great. accreditation. Yeah. I don't know, I can't find the language for it, but I think it's all associated with... Because like, I think I think by association, once people start getting that, everyone else will, will want it just because anyone else has got it, you know. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and so there is that. So would yeah. I go and create something different? I know there's been, you know, mm. a lot of work done by... Yeah the inclusion crowd on that particular piece mm. and if that gets embedded that could be the kite mark for the recruitment industry yeah yeah, yeah. Um, my thoughts with um, with that particular I know it's very very complex to, to get it's yeah. not just a no, fill no, out no. this form no, submit a couple so it should of pieces be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's proper yeah 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 and I think that that will encourage the recruitment industry to get the training in mm. order to achieve that yeah accreditation Amazing. but i think we've got to be really careful before we start dishing out badges yeah. of honor so yeah, of there course. are other platforms that will give you an accreditation if you just complete this online piece right. but we know that training is the tip of the iceberg chris yeah of course it's 
it's about your policies and your behaviours and your ethics. Education, and, isn't it? And, and a, ch- a full yeah. change management programme. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before you can start claiming to be an inclusive and accessible and equitable recruiter. Mm. So we just need to make sure that we're not dishing these out like badges of honour. No, exactly. To tick a box. Exactly. Well, just a few more questions and we're coming to an end. This has been amazing so far. So where, where do you want to take this? What's your vision and plan of next so we met for a third episode in two years time Mm. where where are you going to (laughs) be gosh um i mean who knows who knows (laughs) um i would really like to get into more of the advisory work if i'm honest um i've been exploring the non-exec director piece Mm. however i'm getting a vibe that in order to really add value in that NED space. It's about helping recruitment businesses scale up to sell potentially. Yeah. Which is interesting because yeah. you look at the data in terms of the number of recruitment businesses that actually sell and I it's think absolutely la- minimal. Last year. It's just a lot worse. 44 last year or something yeah. stupid like that. Not many. Yeah, there was a post, wasn't there, yeah. on LinkedIn about yeah. it? Um, so, I mean, I don't know whether it's because I'm asking the wrong people. Mm. Um, because that's the reason why they, they've got a su- successful non-exec director portfolio. Mm. But I, I see myself as somebody who can add a huge amount of value yeah. um, in, in some form of capacity. And I've started to, to, to test it a bit. I'm doing some advisory work with one of my clients where right. I'm actually working with them on an ongoing basis for the next six months well done. to Great. really help them embed the stuff that they've got from training so that could be the the beginning the start of i think that. it's getting them to understand the correlation between actually if you if you do have a real strong dni focus yes. it, you know it can transform your business on so many different levels yeah, right it can and transform your business i mean we don't have to go through the data but no. you know we, we know that from a profitability yeah perspective attraction attraction yeah. innovation yeah you know, designing products and services that are fit for purpose. Creativity. There's so many Minimal other. risk. Yeah. All, all, exactly. all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So I think the more that organize, recruitment businesses start to see this as being a strategic yes, business absolutely. move for them, rather than a fluffy, mm. nice to have, mm. they hopefully there'll be more of an appetite for mm. work, for seeing somebody like me who has a really unique lens yeah. on building workplace culture mm. and representation um, yeah. and workplace environments, they'll be able to see that that could be really useful for them, especially when they start to struggle to um, attract yeah. the our new generations that are coming into the workplace. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you one personal question and one business question. Okay. I'll give it a warning. <laughs> Just tell us something about yourself that we don't already know oh my goodness <laughs> oh you could have given me a heads up on that couldn't you um okay i don't really i, I always really struggle with these questions chris don't worry <laughs> you don't um, have to answer actually you know things. what i think that i mean this might be a little bit kind of like cliche but and lots of lots i hear this all the time when people talk about their personality types yeah um but for me and i've been i've been actually having some some uh, some um some coaching 
uh, with Rebecca Shannon about this. Oh, okay. And I've been talking to her a lot uh, to to her a lot about how what I do doesn't necessarily align with my personality and okay. my confidence. Yeah. Um, being stood in front of rooms full of people speaking, mm. doing things like this, training, <laughs> yeah. keeping a room connected to me for three hours mm. isn't my natural comfort zone. Right. It has become a performance for me. Okay, interesting. It's become a persona that I step into mm. when I train, when I present, when I yeah. record things like this. And it's because I am quite an introverted person yeah, yeah. who lacks a huge amount of self-esteem and confidence. Wow. But my passion for what I want to achieve and my purpose has given me no choice but mm. to turn into somebody different, wow. to turn into that person who can make people feel enough to want to change like what they do. That's incredible. So you've got the purpose to deliver and serve other people, but also you are... It's hard. For yourself, it's difficult. Emotionally, yeah, mentally. Yeah. yeah, of course. My mental health is a, co- is a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. How do I find it within myself today to attend two different events, deliver two pieces of training, right. and come across as the person with the knowledge and the confidence and the charisma, make people laugh, big part of being a trainer. Yeah, Making people yeah, laugh, absolutely. keeping people engaged. When actually, that's not who I am as a mm. human being. And sometimes I'll say to people, I'm really nervous about that. I've got this event coming up. I'm dreading it. Yeah, It's natural for people to go, but you're so good at it. You're such a natural, mm. you're not nervous. You don't get anxiety. They don't see me popping the anti-anxiety tablets right. before I go on stage wow. or delivering the training. Of course. And it's easy for people to dismiss that. But I meet people all the time who say exactly the same. And a lot of the time we're just, we've got that, you know, that whole, we're a swan on the outside. Yeah, of course. But underneath the water yeah, line. Yeah, panicking like anything. Yeah, paddling yeah. Yeah. like mad to mm. feed this persona that we've created for ourselves. Mm. So, yeah, one thing that people don't know about me is that I'm very different to yeah. who I appear to be, who I have to be to do the work that I do. Well, bravo to you for being so open on, on, on a podcast like that. And I think a lot of people resonate the fact that you can appear confident, but that doesn't mean anything. And no. everyone's got mental health and sometimes it's okay just to take off that mask, take off that performance and mm. be open about the fact that you're struggling today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who leads the leader? It doesn't matter who you are. And I think anyone who comes across as inflappable is, is always a concern to me anyway. Mm. Yeah. And you talk about that you're very authentic mm. when it comes to talking about your vulnerabilities. Mm. You know, and you and I have often spoken yeah, yeah. about you know, when I'm going through a com- confidence crisis and you've strangely reassured me by, your, by opening up about your vulnerability and the yeah. fact that you struggle with this stuff as Absolutely. much as I do. Yeah. And there's, there's something quite comforting yeah. about that, isn't there? That's it. And you can have all the uh, accreditations and letters after your name, yeah. if you're a mental health person or not, or a coach or whatever, but you've got to have the relatability. Mm-hmm. And that's why, because you've been a recruiter, you can talk to recruiters. And because 
sometimes you know when you if you're dealing with some people who's got depression or mental health and you've had it yourself it really helps mm. and you just just have that bit of empathy mm. bit of compassion right yeah absolutely and, and you know and i often get approached by people who have got so much to offer yeah but they don't feel like they've got the confidence to be able to do for example what i may be perceived as being do, of doing and yeah. so that reassurance that this is not okay. me this takes loads of work just two more questions then so what tips would you give a recruitment business owner to try to get to grips with dni uh equality equity all that kind of stuff and also uh, maybe a, a, a solopreneur because like, you started out two years ago full mm. of interpretation you've done quite well so two questions mm-hmm. there yep. one to do with that and one to yeah. kind of i think for any recruitment business leader it would be um get educated pick up a book listen to a podcast start to understand the reality of a lot of people that you will probably have in your inner circle yeah whether that be your family whether it be your kids whether it be your partners whatever or you know your friends Mm. there's a brilliant book by Shireen um, Atchison called um, Demanding More okay Um, and I talk a lot about reading and education because it's absolutely critical. You can have all the training in the world, absolutely. but you need that foundational knowledge. You need to understand mm. the problem before you before you have the drive and the will yeah. to do anything about it. Yeah. So that book for me is one of the most transformational, easy reads that you can pick up. Unfortunately, it's not on audio, so it's oh, not it's fully not. accessible. Okay. But it would also be, number two, would be to understand how EDNI isn't part of your CSR mm-hmm. and isn't just about yeah. inequality. It is about remembering what good recruitment looks like before yes. we started to dilute what we what we do. Because it we should be, in an ideal world, this whole thing should be at the forefront of recruitment. As The absolutely. word recruitment should be absolutely If I inclusive. could say to you, yeah. I could help you win more retained yeah. business... Yeah, yeah. By talking about this, sure. would you say no to me? Of course, Absolutely I'd be all over, we'd be all over it. If I could it? say, I can help your recruiters take better job briefs, use this as a BD tool, okay? Mm. Write better 100%. adverts, build their personal online brand, yeah. show that you stand for something, build your talent pools. You would never say no, thanks, Joe. We don't need any of that. It's yet. amazing how what people think people join businesses for. And money is about third on the list. It's yeah. this kind of stuff yeah. that people join businesses for. Exactly. And it's because we have been um, programmed to think that diversity looks like one thing or the other. You're right. When actually it's not. It's, it's just about yeah. creating safe spaces that include everybody. Mm-hmm. It's about creating incredible places to work yes it's about making sure that everybody has access to work and enjoys going to work every day amazing i was going to end it there but there was the other question yes solopreneur yes okay so what would be my advice bit yeah um so before you even set up your business right just make sure that you've got one problem and one solution yes don't overcomplicate it Love that. Incredible advice I got right from the beginning yeah. by a chap called like uh, Mike Lander. Um, invest up front in terms of, it doesn't have to be a lot, work with a brander 
Mm. So when you launch, your message is clear yeah. about the problem that you are here to fix. Absolutely. And you get your marketing spot on. Another yes. name drop, Fliss Lee, is okay. somebody who helped me do that. Right. Without Fliss's work, I would have been all over with my messaging. It mm. takes a lot to unpick mixed messages sure. about your business. Sure. Invest in a website that makes you look bigger than you are. Mm. And doesn't let you down when people do their due diligence. Of course. So those kind of like three things. It's really good actually. Get your, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry, I worry too much about, well what would this process look like and what would that process look like? Yeah. You can navigate that yeah, yeah. as it happens. Yeah. You just need to get out there with your solution to the problem sold in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Looking professional. Absolutely key. I think that's right. I I've think... met too many people, Chris, who wait until they've made their first, in, they've, they've sent their first invoice before they do that. Yeah. And then it takes them months to unpick mm. the crappy website, the mixed messaging, not knowing who they are. Yeah. Being on a podcast and not being able to articulate what it is that they actually do. Mm. That stuff up front is absolutely critical. And it will often bring you back to that question, is it worth doing? Mm. If you can't think very clearly about your, the solution and yeah. the problem. If you don't know what it is, no one else is going to know. Nobody else is ever going to know. Yeah. Nobody can help you on that. And it would be to absolutely embrace LinkedIn and the community. And say yes to everything. Yes. Everything that's scary, every podcast, every interview, every event. You know, when anybody wants to spend time with you, hang out with them, do mm. stacks of stuff for free. Yeah. Be super, super generous because it comes full circle. Amazing. Joe, absolutely brilliant advice. Thank Great you. conversation. Uh, absolutely loved it. Looking forward to episode three in a couple of years. <laughs> Congratulations for all your efforts thank and you. thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Chris. And I really appreciate you giving me a platform continually and really showing that you are an ally to women, not just through giving me the space and the resources yeah. and your time today, but for the work that you do to elevate women and to welcome. also mention people's names when they're not in the room. You're very welcome. An absolute delight. Thank you. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.